Welcome to episode 64 of the In the Pattern podcast. This is Chris, and along with me tonight, I've got uh, Pilot Conway and uh, Mr. Brad up north. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Mark isn't able to make it quite yet. Maybe he will uh, jump on in a little bit, but uh, we wanted to go ahead and get started. We've got quite a bit to talk about. Uh, so first, I'd like to go out there and say hey to Mr. Conway. What's up, John? I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm hanging in there. Um, keeping current, so... Good stuff. Good stuff over here. Daddy life treating you well? Yeah, kids growing like a little weed and, uh, you know, learning new stuff every day. So it's fun. Exciting, Exciting times. Counting on the days till I can take him up on the plane. Oh, yeah. That'll be awesome. I was uh, told I'm, when he's I'm, three. Oh, really? That's it? That's, yeah. the, uh, that's the date? Yeah. When he can remember it and think it's cool. Oh, yeah. What I was told. So that's good. Yeah, good it makes point. sense. Good point. Yeah, I, I'm I'm jealous of that fact that I don't have any little kids to like amaze with that anymore. But uh, maybe I'll be a, a grand. I get to do it as a grandfather, I guess. I'll probably be the first grandfather I'm here on, on the podcast. I assume. Let's all hope. <laughs> yeah, I really hope. <laughs> uh, well, it's all good. And that other voice in the background that you heard was uh, Mr. Brad. What's happening up there in the uh, in the frigid uh, north? Well, you know, days are getting longer. Uh, we're kind of hoping for for an end of the season and uh, getting getting to be uh, into some more flying time. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about that ice so much anymore. Uh, truth, you know, um, it, it it's easy to it's still easy enough to get night current, but uh, but it's getting harder every day. That's the thing that would scare me is is. Uh... I would think recognizing picking up ice at night would be a lot more difficult since uh, you visually have that, you know, going away kind of. Yeah, you carry a flashlight uh, and you just have to constantly be pointing it out the windows and looking at, you know, but you try to stay out of that situation because if you're picking up ice at night, you're in a pretty bad corner. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you pick picking those clearer nights. Of course, to go out there, definitely want to don't want to go mix it up with any. Uh, any clouds and exacerbate that kind of situation. Exactly. That's a little more drama than I need. Yes. Yes. Well, hey, we've, um, I think we've all did a, a little of this or a little of that since uh, the last podcast. It's been kind of exciting. Um, I've, uh, I got out my, I got, got through my annual uh, pilgrimage to uh, Pomona, California and my flight out to Catalina. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I think uh, uh, Brad's got a new, uh, a new airplane in the club to talk about, and uh, John is keeping current and, and working on that G1000 knowledge. Does that sound about right? Sounds about right. Awesome, awesome. Brad, I'm uh, I'm kind of uh, excited to hear about the new plane. Yeah, it's a hoot. Uh, we bought a Piper Saratoga to replace the Cherokee Six, um, and uh, it's a very similar plane. Uh, in a lot of respects, but it's got retractable gear and a bigger engine. Uh, turns 300 horsepower, and uh, to the to the Cherokee Six is 260. Uh, and with with that and the retractable gear, we get uh, about 158 knots uh, true airspeed out of it. That's and not too shabby. That's not too shabby. It, Were you it, in the like around 140 in the 260, no. 130 something? In the 130s was okay. the Cherokee Six, and uh, with a 
we would plan for about 18 gallons an hour, um, which turned out to be about the right amount to plan for, even though the, the cruise burn was a little bit less, the climb out burn was so much more that that <laughs> averaged out okay. Uh, and in the Saratoga, it's, it's pretty close to that 18 gallons an hour, but there's a lot fewer hours uh, to get you to where you need to go. So it's, um, I got checked out in the, in the plane um, almost right away because I was hoping that I'd be able to fly it to Michigan uh, around the holidays, uh, Christmas holidays, and um, the weather precluded that uh, and ended up taking uh, four-wheeled conveyance <laughs> to get there. But, um, but it was a lot of fun to get checked out in it. Um, it has an Aspen Evolution Pro um, I hesitate to call it a glass panel, but it's sort of a glass atti combination attitude indicator and directional gyro, Is or that, HSI. That's the one that's um, um, rectangular. Oh, has, it's, right? it's, it's put in there vertically. It covers. Right. Okay. It, it covers the center two instruments uh, in a in a normal six pack. And, and yeah, John, I think that is like what uh, Bill yeah. has in his. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and. It's a great tool. Um, it's funny because the first time I flew the plane, I treated it like it was an attitude indicator and a directional gyro, mm -hmm. and did not, you know, treat it as, you know, it's it's a full sort of glass panel. You've got an airspeed tape and an altitude uh, tape on the sides, yeah. in addition to the big um, uh, attitude indicator covering the entire top half of the panel. And then the bottom one is a full-fledged uh, kind of virtual HSI plus. Um, and at first, I just looked at it like it was an attitude indicator, and I didn't really treat it as a um, as the six-pack. I was still looking; my scan was still going out to the other instruments to do to check the altitude and the airspeed. But you know, then as I got more familiar with it, more comfortable with it, then I was able to kind of get in. Okay, you know, this is this is really what I need to focus on. Um, and I was able to get all of the information without hardly moving my eyes and, and never fully moving my eyes off the attitude indicator. And I, I got to tell you, that's, that's a pretty sweet way to fly. Mm. Um, and well, it's, not it's, needing to have a vacuum pump in the plane, you know, oh. gives you an extra 40, 50 pounds. Um, and uh, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a nice tool. We've talked about maybe outfitting the rest of our aircraft with either the pro version for the for the kind of cross country machines or the the non pro version for the ones that we kind of fly around because we could get rid of a lot of expensive and heavy instruments. Yeah, you know it's interesting you you were talking about that because the other day I was uh, listening to a podcast and it was talking about they had a question uh, brought into the podcast in regards to a glass panel versus six pack and there's so much more to look at you know people can get a little distracted with everything that's going on you kind of got to um, learn a, a different scan and uh and get comfortable with that again because like you you weren't comfortable comfortable at the, in the very beginning of seeing all that information you were treating it as only like a partial of what it, what its uh, uh capabilities were exactly exactly you do have to relearn your scan and, and learn how to get that information into your brain off of the panel um but the nice part is that it it comes pretty fast 
Okay. Um, and it's it's so much easier because you instead of having to move your eyes completely off of one instrument and focus on one that's you know probably six inches away, um, you're really just changing your eyes a tiny little bit, and you can still see the attitude indicator behind the the speed tape or the altitude yep. tape. I was just going to say that the the altitude indicator being visible behind everything is such a huge I, I can imagine for IFR especially but even for me you know it's it's there you see exactly where it is at all times no matter which instrument in the cluster you're looking at so it's um, the, exactly. the additional information is is awesome I mean you do have to be careful not to get too overloaded with it or get too into it but I mean what you can get at a glance where on, on those panels that you can't with um, you know a six pack um, it's it's nice and, and not having to worry about partial panel situations right so the big thing in ifr is what do you do when the vacuum panel seizes up because it's first of all it's very hard to detect when the vacuum panel uh, i'm sorry the vacuum pump has failed mm -hmm. uh, your your attitude yeah. indicator and your directional gyros just start to slow down and so it's a very very slow failure mode unless you happen to notice the the indicator light come on like in a piper there's a Oh, vac yeah. indicator yep. light at the top and if, if you don't happen to see that you'll still be following an instrument that has failed and is slowly precessing off of where it should be um, and with this you don't worry about that it's even if you lost the entire electrical system it has a backup battery that's good enough to to keep active for a long time after the main ship's electrical system has failed um, it the the improvements to safety are just paramount it's it's very very difficult to maintain control of the plane in imc um without an attitude indicator and a directional <laughs> gyro right yeah. you're we practice partial panel but in practice um it, you know those failures are oftentimes pretty tragic um, yeah and getting rid of that mechanical failure point of that of that ridiculous pump um, is is just going to be a boon, I think, uh, especially as uh, Dynon and now Garmin um, both have uh, uh, panel electronic panel instruments that replace the vacuum panel instruments um, that were previously only available in experimental aircraft, but they're now certified for yeah uh, for certificated aircraft, and yeah. I think you know as that continues to flood into the market we're going to just see vacuum panels are just going to become a thing of the past in a pretty short amount of time i love that yeah. more and more of that stuff is coming online that's great that's great so um with the uh with the um with the new uh plane um i was going to ask it, being that it's a retract but you do have more horsepower how's your uh, useful load in comparison to the 260 um i think they're about the same yeah. Um, it, it's a little bit different in that it has club seating instead of standard seating. So the, the middle row of passengers faces backward, which allows everybody to interleave their legs when they're seated yeah. um, and to see each other. Uh, and that um, promises to be nice. I actually haven't flown it with passengers yet mm. um, just because of uh, timing and weather and availability. But I do have a, I have it reserved for a bunch of different uh flights this year so we'll see we'll see how people like it awesome awesome that's great well uh i bet you one day i'll uh, get a ride in it with you up to oshkosh 
Think, think, stranger things have happened. Yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> I do have it reserved for the last week of July. So. Awesome. Way to think ahead. <laughs> I, I do try. <laughs> uh, how about you, Mr. Conway? You, uh, you, you're out there uh, getting some more time behind the 172 with the G1000 in it. Yeah, I've been. Um... I, I've been keeping currency, um, not flying as much as I would have and doing a lot more just pattern work just to kind of get, uh, keep things up, uh, especially during the winter. It's, it's kind of tough, um, to get a lot of good days and, um, trying to balance being able to fly with, uh, you know, the, the young kid right now. Um, but so, so far I've been keeping it going. I did, um, another night current flight um in december to keep me going and uh, because i think we had already talked about the time before that which i think is the first time i did pattern work in a while Mm. um but uh how's night how's night flying with that big glass panel i uh, obviously you can (laughs) tune turn down the brightness of the screen and adjust it for daylight bright you know as it being so bright out during the day you can pump it up and at night you can bring it down and have it not glare in your face yeah yeah you would you would hope that would work (laughs) um (laughs) i uh so i did the first night flight i did it was fine Uh, i did three laps around the pattern everything was good i think i talked about that last time um the second time i went out what, what plane was i in 5275 whiskey so that's the one with i think synthetic vision and whatnot but I got the plane started, and um, it was probably just after that hour after um, sunset that I got in, and um, started it up, and man, that panel was on, like, full day brightness, and it just, none of the knobs worked (laughs) to tune it down. Like, it just would not. (laughs) It was stuck completely on full brightness and i'm sitting there and i'm like man i i don't know didn't bring your sunglasses or nothing yeah i was like <laughs> i don't know what to do here like am i gonna be able to and so I, I taxied around for a little bit and i just tried to see am i gonna be able to keep my night vision enough um and to be able to you know fly without losing too much and i i could see fairly okay out of the um thing i basically put my seat up as high as i could um to keep the you know to keep the yeah. Um, the Claire dash below. blocking as much as I could. Because, I mean, I don't need to look at too much doing pattern work either. I mean, just a couple glances down at, at airspeeds and altitudes, and, I mean, that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I put myself up as high as I could and basically got it to the point where I was like, okay, I think um, I think I'll be fine and, and just let my eyes adjust to a little bit. But it was definitely um, – that, you know, could have been a huge distraction because, I mean, it's it was fairly bright. Had I been doing more cross-country stuff, I probably would have said, you know what, I'm not going to, like, I might just go grab one of the other planes. Because um, at that time of night, nobody else I don't think was flying. So, um, But it, it it worked out okay. So you um, think, think someone had turned it up during the day somewhere and you just couldn't find the right side? Oh, no, I knew where the knob was. It didn't work. Oh, just <laughs> failed, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I, I put a squawk in there. I mean, eh, rental planes, it's always something. Every time you get in there, you never know what's going to be broken that day. Yeah. Because um, it's An- going to be something. I've had the door locks. <laughs> Analog um, problem on a digital device. Seatbelts, <laughs> the, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So. You're going to say something, It worked Brad? out, though. 
I, I just think John needs to get a plane. I think it's that simple. There you go. Then you got you no know, one to squawk at but yourself. He was talking about it a while ago. I don't know whatever happened. Oh yeah, the 177 yeah. Cardinal. Bought a car that. and I bought a car and had a kid. Um, <laughs> I I have I have been looking at. It's not gonna happen anytime soon, and I don't have a garage anyway. But man, I, I got on a kick in the last couple of weeks uh, looking at Sonics again, and I'm just <laughs> like, I need to find a way to do this. And actually. If I ever got into a position where I was able to work from home some of the time and I was looking to get like an office nearby, I'm, I would seriously consider doing an office like workshop area that I could rent. That'd be <laughs> and cool. And uh, do something like that. Because actually a buddy of mine, likes, he wants to do some woodworking stuff. So I was like, hey, I was like, look, you need a wood shop. <laughs> I need a metalworking shop to build an airplane. We can make this happen. Um. And he's my designer for some of the uh, for the app I did, the coffee app. So I'm like, it's perfect. We could do some work for you know digital stuff, and then you could do your woodworking. I'll build a plane, and then it, it'll be perfect. So you know, one day I'm I'm trying. I wish uh, Sonex would build an SLSA. I think they would sell the crap out of them. They already do great on what they have now, but I just think um, they would they could sell a bunch of those. Yeah, maybe. You mean like the not certificated, but whatever they call it when it's ASTM, I guess it's certified? When the manufacturer builds the kit themselves and certifies it, that's an SLSA. So instead of a kit built, you get it, which is LSA. Right. Yeah. So there's lots of SLSAs out there um, that compete with it. But then again, who knows with, with, uh, this is a good segue, right? Basic med, you know? (laughs) Um, what is basic med going to do to the light sport pilot, if any? Um, I remember actually kind of bringing that question up to Mark Baker when we were at Oshkosh last year. And uh, he didn't really have a straightforward answer about it other than um, he didn't think it would, uh, it would, it would do one thing or the other to the the sport pilot uh, community. But um, um, I don't know. I, I can see why it wouldn't, though, because the the big difference between um, flying sport pilot and flying under basic med is under basic med, you do have to at one point have a medical. Yeah. And and so, and, you know, and the still people go that get are, one at some point later down the road. Right. I mean, it's not like there, there is the you have had to have had one within 10 years. That's kind of your starting point and or go get one right now to start with. But then. Um, you have where whereas before we had every other every other year every two years you'd have to go back in and get checked out again or and five. now they and now or five if you're <laughs> under thirty yes I got to enjoy that <laughs> yeah I got to enjoy that when I first started or forty sorry forty yeah um, but uh, but now what did it change to is it five years no oh, it's um it, it's never yeah never you, no, you have to go. Is it two years you have to get the... the your... every, every two years, yeah, you have to go to a doctor. It's not an AME. Right. And you have to... They have to ask you some questions. Yeah. And they don't record what your answers are. They just have to certify that they've asked you. And you have to take a class online. You self-certify in this way in some respects. We've always self-certified. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and if I'm being honest, I, I can't remember any of the uh, any of the um, uh, medicals that I've ever had with my AME that I would have considered to be uh, in depth in any way. 
And maybe that's yeah. because of my age or whatever, but, you know. Well, well, in some ways, that's kind of, I think, some of the frustration with the third class, at least. I've never done a second or a first, so I don't, I don't can't vouch for them. But for the right. third class, yeah, it was, you know, all right, so you can you can speak English because I'm talking to you. All right, check. check uh, yeah. Can you read that thing on the board with glasses or without? Okay, check. Uh, you know, and then a couple other things. But it, it's not nearly as in-depth as stuff I would go into even with my regular doctor. And, um, you know, giving them a form as long as, the, you know, your doctor is comfortable with it. And it sounds like some doctors may, some doctors may not um, kind of do the form thing. But I think for the most part, I think most doctors probably will. And it's going to be so much easier. Um, I think that's going to increase business form, right? Um the doctors, I'm saying, because um, as it is right now, up until uh, not long ago, it's it had been 10 years since I had seen a doctor for any kind of regular physical. Um, hmm. And so I'd got I'd got my medical originally for my um, um, uh, what do you call it my uh, student my student permit right, and yeah. then um, I passed 40, and then. Two years later, or whatever, I, I went and got my first actual medical needed because of that, and then since then I had gotten one other. And since that second time, I didn't even do the eye chart. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it seems a little lackadaisical. Uh, here's your 80 bucks. Thanks for showing up. Um, but yeah, I think I me. think because this is a little bit more mandatory now, and not just an AME is going to be looking at it. I think it might bring some business to your general doctors. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how many pilots that would fly under this don't already go every year. I I I would be curious to see if that what that number is. Mm. I mean, I do. I go every every year. I do my free physical that's covered by my insurance. And so what's kind of nice there is I'll I'll just do the paperwork every year and get it over with, right? Like why not? It's just a form and it takes 2 seconds and it's done and Man, I don't have to keep track of it, and um, I'm already going, and now I don't have to spend the additional 80 bucks to find some other doctor somewhere. And the last experience I had, it was, I don't even know where I went. It was some crazy clinic-y thing, and there was a, <laughs> more people than I've ever seen in my regular doctor's office. You know, I had to wait for 45 minutes just to get in there. Whereas, you know, to go in for my physical, I walk in five minutes later. I'm, you know, I check in in a little kiosk. They call me over. I sign a form and they're like, okay, your insurance the same. I'm like, yeah, good. And then they're like, okay, we'll call you back. And five minutes later, they call me back. I go do my thing and then I'm done. What? You so, had an appointment and they kept it? That, oh, wasn't, yeah. that, wasn't a, that wasn't a doctor you were seeing. I don't know what that was. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I will say that the you know I got a bunch of Hopkins doctors around here and they are fairly good about staying on time. That's nice. I don't That's have nice. to wait long, so it's it's nice. So Basic but, Med so. just just kind of got started, so we will uh, see how it goes. Uh, speaking about like what that may or may not do to uh, sport pilot uh, is is yet to be seen. We'll see. Um, I think for like my friend John who we've talked about, light sport man. Um, he's got some medical conditions to where, you know, the, the, the basic meds not going to make a difference to him. Um, cause of the, the third class requirement up front. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so he will, uh, he will stay a late, light sport guy and I'm sure there's 
thousands of other pilots kind of in that similar similar situation. Yeah, and I'm I'm holding on to. I just had to get my medical in December, um, but I'm gonna hold on to my third class just because it uh, basic med isn't recognized by other countries. True, and you're close to Canada. I'm close to Canada, and wouldn't mind flying into the Bahamas and yeah. you know doing some of those kinds of things and. Um, you know, until they develop some sort of reciprocity, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to that medical. Yeah, you know, you're, I, you, I'd be you're, you're pretty sure you're gonna pass it anyway, so it's not like something to be afraid of. Yeah, I'm in excellent health, and I don't mind the the fee isn't terrible um, for right now. The um, service pilot organization that I work with, Lifeline Pilots, requires a, a medical. Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to change under basic med, but they, you know, it's just, it's their pre-existing policy, right? Sure. So, so who knows what, what their requirements are going to be. And I, and I don't know what my flying club or its insurance policy requirements are going to be. Um, so, you know, I, but like I said, I, I don't have a problem. I have a medical, it's going to be active for another year and a half. Uh, so I'll be, I'll be curious to see how it all shakes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be it'll be definitely interesting to see from insurance and these organization standpoints. Um, you know, now that it's it's going to be active, um, what is it? May first, I believe, is when it's official. Yep. Um, you know, I'll be interested to see over the next couple of years how how things change and how many people jump on board. Um, you know, using that, and I'm also interested to see you know places like I think the Bahamas even already said they're they're looking into it because. Um, it sounds like places like that have kind of an interest in, um, you know, kind of doing some kind of whatever it takes to recognize it because of the tourism that comes in. So for Canada and Bahamas, maybe even Mexico, I don't know what, how many, you know, flights go in and out of there easily, but, um, I can see these countries definitely saying, Hey, maybe we should look at this and see if we can recognize it because, you know, if you got enough pilots coming in, it seems to make sense. Yeah. I, and I hope that that shakes itself out and I wouldn't, I, I don't feel a compelling need to have it other than for those kinds of situations. Um, so, you know, if it didn't, I probably would consider letting my third class medical lapse cause I'm, I can certainly get it back whenever I need it. Um, yeah, and uh, you know we'll see what happens. Yep. Yeah, I still have. Um, I want to say th- three and a half years or so before mine expires. Um, but I mean, the way I fly right now, I, I don't have any reason to keep it um, going. You know, I don't fly into Canada. I don't fly into the Bahamas. Um, I'm not flying for any organizations right now. So, you know, for me, for the foreseeable future. Um, definitely seems like something that would make my life slightly easier. You know, it's not a huge yep. deal if I had to do it, but it, it's definitely, you know, it's one extra thing that I don't have to worry about. Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. Well, Hey, um, uh, as we move on here, I wanted to just bring up my, um, uh, my annual flight down to uh, Pomona and, uh, uh, not flight to Pomona. I should say that's a, that's a drive with my stupid trailer behind it with a bunch of people, which, by the way, had some issues this year. Um, that's a different story. But um, so this was the uh, third year going down to uh, Pomona and camping. And um, as I've mentioned before, it's right next door to uh, 
uh, Pomona's Airport, which is uh, called Brackett Field. And two years ago, I was like, hey, let's, I wonder if I can get a plane and go fly over to Catalina Island um, and uh, take some friends. So I found an instructor and bought, brought a couple of friends along and uh, we did a flight over to Catalina and that was my checkout flight. And uh, that was great. And then last year, I was like, well, let's see if we can make this a little bit more interesting. So uh, I went back to them and, uh, and they had me do a checkout flight. But then, then I, I did the Catalina flight on my own, which was fine. Um, but, but last year, um, Franz flew down in the Mooney and uh, Brad flew down uh, with, uh, who was with him? Um, Whereby Brad, you mean? I'm sorry, Mark. Yeah, uh, Mark flew down. <laughs> Mark flew down with uh, um, Luma Sunshine. Um, help me with the name. No way, you're gonna suffer. No, now now I gotta. You can edit this out. You can do it. You can do it. Fred. There we go. <laughs> Bingo. Sorry, Fred. Uh, yeah, um, Mark flew down uh, in a in a little warrior with uh, Fred, and I think they had another friend of theirs along with them. And uh, so the three of us uh, flew out together from uh, Pomona over to uh, Catalina Island, and um, and uh, Bill uh, flew from um, San Diego over there and met us there. So that was a lot of fun, and we kind of had a little uh, flight of three action going on, and and uh, you know that was a blast. So I wanted to kind of up our game a little bit, and th- and th- this last year, uh, I really thought we were going to have seven, which would have been super exciting uh but unfortunately mark uh backed out and one of the other guys uh, just wasn't able to uh uh he just wasn't kind of on it and secure his airplane in time and get his checkout flight to uh to uh, catalina uh from where he rents from so but there was five of us so uh so this year we had or this last year we had um again franz came down in the mooney um uh who else came um this time bill flew from uh, San Diego over to uh, Pomona with us. And who else was with us? Um, doggone. You'd think I'd remember this thing. Um, <laughs> Glad you're editing. Yeah, no kidding, huh? Uh, Ron. Yeah, Ron Ron flew in with his wife. Ron flew down. See, it was, this is kind of funny because they were having some weather issues up north and... Um, <laughs> and doggone it, Mark. Um, Mark was like, uh, I don't know, three days prior to us going, he cancels his his airplane, and is like, ah, oh, the weather's not going to be any good. I ain't going to be able to make it. And you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not IFR, so I'll just skip. You know, and of course, the day rolls around, and it was just fine. He could have made it no problem. <laughs> um, but uh, but Ron was able to come down, and another friend of mine from Phoenix, um, um, Andy, uh, flew down with Franz. So they kind of flew formation. Andy's got an A36 Bonanza and of course Franz and his Mooney. So they kind of flew together down here from Phoenix. So the five of us uh, took off from Pomona. And so no one wanted to do formation, probably because I was in the slowest plane. We had we had the M20K Mooney with Franz. We had an A36 Bonanza. Ron had, uh, Ron had it, has his uh, two, Turbo 210. And, um, and then, uh, of course, Bill has uh, the uh, Cherokee 6. So here I am. And nobody in... wanted to do formation with the guy who's flying a 65-knot airplane? Uh, hey, hey, the Archer does like a buck 25. Thank you very much. Even with four people. 
this thing this thing if you firewall it like <laughs> it's a rental plane how else do you fly them <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry that was mean i didn't mean to say that no um no actually the uh the archer this thing is just a pig on the outside uh it's not much better on the inside but the engine is fantastic in it um yeah it and maybe i had a little bit of tailwind or whatever but i could do 120 knots in it all day long but yeah no one wanted to do formation and you guys were all wearing life jackets, right? Yeah, for the most part. Uh, some people were, some people weren't. Hmm. You know, I won't say who who did and who didn't. Uh, not a requirement from the um, from the uh, flight school, uh, knowing that they're knowing that they're, you're going to take uh, their plane there, whether or not you have them on or not. I guess. Um, anyway, so uh, we go get ready to go, and we're uh, um, I'm starting off first because I'm the I'm the slowest one, so I'm going to take off first. I give everybody my exact flight plan off of my uh, um, my little tablet and show them exactly how I'm going to get there and altitudes that I'm going to be at and whatnot. And um, so I I uh, I'm taxiing away from uh, the fuel pump area where we're all kind of sitting chatting before we're getting ready to go. And I call ground and I let them know that who I am and where I'm going and whatnot. And then I let them know that by the way, there's going to be four more planes call you up in just a minute we're all going to the same place um and we're aware of each other you know so he goes are you a flight no we're not a flight okay so we um get up there and and uh you know do the normal run up and everything and take off um and i let tower know then pretty much the same thing by the way there's four more planes behind me and uh, we're all going to uh, catalina uh we are not a flight but we are aware of each other and he said okay just let the uh, socal approach know and he lets me go and I contact SoCal and then I let them know. But I swear the only thing they hear is we're a flight. <laughs> it gets them so confused. Um, of course, they give you a squat code and whatnot. And and uh, it, it was all good right up until about the third or fourth transfer uh, from one SoCal approach to another. And then this guy, for some reason, thinks we're a flight. And he goes, one of your guys isn't on, isn't on frequency or is it, isn't squawking the squat code. And I'm like, well, we're not a flight, you know. We're just VFR, but I just, you know, we're just here to let you know that we're all aware of each other, so you don't have to spend time saying, "Hey, you got traffic at six, traffic at 12, whatever," you know. So he finally understood. As soon as we hit, as soon as we hit the um, the shoreline, uh, we switched over to um, just a, a con, uh, an air-to-air frequency and got off and and let go with um, flight following. So then we can just kind of chat a little bit, and about the time I switched over to that. Um, and I asked who's up. I hear Andy. He goes, Chris, are you here yet? And I said, yeah. He goes, I'm below you a thousand feet about your one o'clock. And I look down and he's screaming across the water. You know, um, I was probably at 4,500 feet and he was about 3,000 feet, not on top of the water clearly, but man, that A36 just pulled away like, <laughs> like I was sitting still. Um, but uh, so we, uh, we, 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 um, communicate a little bit you know it's it's only what like 35 miles from the shoreline to uh, Catalina so it doesn't take much time to get over there once you've uh, once you've hit the shoreline and um, so we are we're heading that direction and then we decide to um, instead of just do a straight in which more or less most people probably would coming from the north that direction they just do a straight in uh, we decided to all um, peel off to the right and enter a uh, enter a downwind from uh, what's called Twin Bay. There's uh, two bays on opposite ends of the um, of the island that kind of uh, squeeze together to where you can see one from the other almost. <clears throat> 
And uh, so we hit that first and then um, take a left and head towards the airport so we can enter a downwind. And, and um, Andy hits it first. I'm second somehow. Some of the other guys were a little slower getting out of Pomona. And um, and uh, before before Andy hits it, here comes someone else on the comms going, you know, this is Piper whatever and inbound to land full stop at, you know, at Catalina. And we're like, sir, sir, could you do us a favor and, you know, follow in behind. There's five planes. We're entering from here, yada, yada, yada. You know, he pays no attention. Does a straight end job and we just kind of work around him. Um, but uh, the good thing is it wasn't like three o'clock in the afternoon with the sun setting and we were all able to see the runway. <laughs> um, I took uh, my wife and um, um, a couple of our best friends, which are my daughter's in-laws, uh, who we go to who we go to. Um, uh, camping with and stuff like that. So uh, that was pretty exciting. Um, everybody had a good time, good landing over there. Uh, the uh, entrance from the uh, from the north gives you a nice uphill uh, runway to contend with. It's a whole lot like, and I've mentioned this before, I think it's a whole lot like landing in uh, Sedona. On top of that Mesa uphill runway, the only difference is that their runway is really crap. They need to spend a few bucks on on some repairs. It's it's pretty pretty beat up. Uh, there's quite a bit of traffic in and out of there, but I can see why it would be really a pain in the butt to uh, do much maintenance on that place because you'd have to haul it all up from uh, from the bottom. And by that place, you're talking about Catalina, not Sedona? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Catalina. You'd have to barge it over and then bring it up to the top in trucks, and uh, that would be quite the pain in the butt. I wonder, I wonder when the last time that runway was resurfaced, actually. Hard to say. But uh, long time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, but we all had our uh, buffalo burgers or buffalo whatever. You know, there's buffalo roaming around on that island, and so are they, they cook buffalo them up. burgers there? Oh, it's they're fantastic. Yeah, I'm in. I'm yeah. In. <laughs> I need to make it there. Long way to go man, for buffalo, dude. <laughs> there's some out there. Hey, hey, I'm I've been going out to San Diego enough, so yeah. one day I'm gonna make it there. Yeah. I might actually fly there next time. There you go. Hit up Bill and, and get a flight and go out there. Um, yeah, there's wild buffalo on that island that was, I, I might have mentioned this before, but the buffalo were brought there in the 1920s for a movie, and then they just left them. So now they're... Tasty. Now they're tasty, yeah. <laughs> there's also, what else is there? Is um Oh, was it... Foxes, I think. Yeah, I think there's some signs or something at the uh, airport restaurant about don't feed uh, the foxes or something like that. There's all kinds of little wild uh, wild animals around there. So, but uh, it, it's it's a blast to get there, and um, I um, look forward to it year after year. <clears throat> this year, uh, I'm hoping to m turn that five into seven, and. Um, you know, just keep growing it. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly but surely making my own little uh, fly-in that a few people are, are looking forward to each year. So, Too bad I'm not going out there around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a good time to come. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I, think I'm doing, I think I'm doing Key West in November, so I don't think I could do two trips in November. <laughs> That's a nice place to be in November. Yeah. Some fine down there too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, on 
on the way back, of course, we take off and and uh, do our, our our typical flight over top of uh, Disneyland. There's a 3,000 foot TFR, and inevitably we we'll always fly right over it, about 3,500 feet. So that's kind of cool to see. Um, I've got a good picture of where Star Wars land is being um, constructed. So it'll be interesting Ooh, to see this see year that. how much how much uh, progress they've made. Because that's uh, I forget when that's opening, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not because they're building one there and building one in in Orlando. Florida. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I, I love Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, Star Wars is awesome. Um, Disneyland, not so much. <laughs> you take that back. Nope. The, the San Andreas Fault can open up and swallow that thing whole, and I wouldn't shed a tear. As long as it's like well, 3, in the, morning, World, so. 3 in the morning and no one gets hurt. You know, minimal casualties. Disney World used to have a runway. Yes, they did. I, I looked that up on uh, Google Earth one day when I saw some fact yep. about that. And now it's a parking lot, but <laughs> yeah, that was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, it's really too bad. It. it it would be a nice way to get in and out of there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it would be, I think it would be used quite a bit for sure. Wouldn't you? It'd be a very popular thing. I don't know. They closed it for some reason. Yeah. Maybe it got to be too popular and too much headache and, and, uh, it, it then again, could be noise. Then, yeah, there's that. Then again, you're flying, you know, at some point you're flying pretty low to the earth over top of a park with thousands of people on it. So I don't know. Well, there's a lot of land out there. It's a lot different than Disneyland. So, I mean, I'm sure that you could keep it such that you're not, you know, too close. But I honestly, I bet it's a noise thing for the resort and for the parks. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it, it, it it's probably grown a ton uh, since the last time that thing was open, too. I, yeah, I'm sure it has. Yeah. So. Oh, um, so, anyways looking forward to uh, doing that trip uh, again this year. And uh, man, uh, I just keep really thinking forward about the day that I get to um, tell my son-in-law, Corey or somebody, Hey, you're driving my truck and trailer to, uh, to Pomona. Oh, why is that? I'm taking the plane. You know, that's uh that's the day I'm really looking forward to. Then we can do all kinds of flights. I, Cause I really want to fly up to big bear too, uh, which is a real short flight from uh, Pomona. Um, but, uh, one thing at a time, one thing at a time. Um, what else, Brad? Uh, you've got, uh, you're doing a little bit more, um, uh, flying around the, the Midwest, I see. Yeah, I've been, I, I had a few flights, um, that were, that were notable in one way or another. I, um, took a friend and flew up to Madeline Island, uh, and, it was an uninteresting flight until the very end. Uh, as we were approaching, um, I I switched over to, uh, to to the CTAF and I'm listening on the frequency and doing my thing and getting getting ready and getting the plane set up. And I hear somebody calling in in a Cirrus saying that they're such and such a they're at such and such a waypoint uh, headed headed to Madeline Island. And you know Madeline Island it's a it's a in Lake Superior, north of Wisconsin, um, not very far, just a few miles uh, off the shore of Wisconsin. And I, since I'm heading into the same direction, you know, I key the mic and I give a position report. You know, I'm 10 miles to the southwest and I'm inbound and, 
yada, yada, yada. And he, he repeats his position report uh, relative to some IFR waypoint. And since I am not looking at an IFR chart and I'm busy getting the airplane configured and slowed down and everything else, I'm like, hey, can you know, where are you relative to the airport? Um, and this annoys him. <laughs> Dude, that annoys me when people do that. I mean... Uh, when people ask where you are or when no, you give a position report relative to a waypoint that no one's ever heard of. When I hear that someone <laughs> gives a position, just like you, okay, yeah. that, that does me what good if I'm a VFR pilot and... And I'm an IFR pilot and I don't know where you, this guy is. Yeah, there <laughs> you go. So, and so, you know, he he's he it takes him a while, right? Because he's just looking at the GPS, I'm sure. He's he's uh you know, he's got a big G one thousand in his screen and he's and he's just saying, Oh, I'm right by some such and such waypoint, which shows up on the moving map display and he's not even thinking about where he is relative to the airport. Well he eventually says, Well, I'm I'm about uh twelve miles east of the airport and you know, I'm making this speed and I'm at this altitude and I'm coming in. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, I'm again I repeat, you know, okay, now I'm seven miles, you know, to the southwest and, and I'm coming in and you know, I'm gonna enter a left downwind for the runway and you know, we'll see you when we get there. And uh he is behind us, you know, er, um He's going to arrive later than we will, uh, despite a faster ground speed. He's quite a ways away, apparently. Uh, and so, you know, we're coming in and we're doing our thing, and I'm on the, I'm turning base, and I hear this guy make a call that he is crosswind. And the only way for him to be crosswind is if he was actually to the west of the airport and not to the east of the airport, as he earlier reported. And I'm going, this guy doesn't have a clue. He has he, no idea where he is or what he's doing. He's just flying wherever the GPS is telling him to go. And I am glad that I'm not going to be sharing the airspace with him. <laughs> and, you know, I turn final and, you know, of course we bump into each other at the terminal. You know, not our planes don't bump into each other, <laughs> but, you know, we, we see one another at the terminal. And, uh, you know, it, it's this, yeah. It, it it was disappointing. <laughs> All that technology in front of him, and he yeah, don't know, you know where he's at. You got a you got two hundred thousand dollars worth of avionics sitting right in front of you, and you don't know you can't you don't know enough to know your your own situational awareness to know if east you're east of west. the airport, west of the airport, what your what distance you are from the airport, and any of those kinds of things. So that was um that was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> but, to say no, the least, yeah. But that was the only eventful part of that whole trip. Otherwise, it was just a nice day up on the island. You know, it's kind of our version of Catalina, uh, much closer to shore. Hmm. Um, I've seen some pictures you've posted of it. It looks gorgeous. It's a pretty little island, you know. It's just a little resort spot. We don't have any, no buffalo. <laughs> um, you know, you could fly to, uh, if you had a seaplane, you could fly to Isle Royal, which has buffalo and moose and all kinds of things. And, you know, you could, <laughs> You could have moose burgers, but you'd have to have a lot of them because uh, <laughs> a moose is several thousand pounds. Yeah. Uh, and uh, went up to Duluth for the tall ships. The um, Every couple of years, uh, a lot of old square-rigged sailing ships, you know, sort of Pirates of the Caribbean type, um, 
ships uh, sail into Duluth Harbor and went up to see that. And the interesting thing about that was, well, first of all, it was the first time I'd flown to Duluth and not gone into the, to the big international airport. Um, just went to Duluth Sky Harbor because it's right down in the, in the harbor where the tall ships are going to be. Uh, and uh, had called ahead and, and figured out we could get a ride to, to where the ships were going to be, and that was all cool. Um, but I, what I wasn't quite prepared for was the reporting points. So they were, there was a guy giving rides to people, you know, he had his commercial ticket and he was just flying people um, on tour, aerial tours. And so he was flying back and forth up, up and down the coast, uh, the north shore of the lake, and he needed a reporting point to, to let people know where he was. And it turns out that there was a very, very convenient reporting point there in the form of a giant inflatable rubber duck, um, like a bathtub duck. <laughs> okay. And by Oh, giant, I've seen I, these. I yeah. think I've seen these for people's pools or something, or well, they take them to about, lakes, yeah. This was about 50 feet tall. Oh, never mind. I was thinking of one that might be about like six or eight feet tall. Wow. No, this was a truly giant rubber duck. Um, and it made a great reporting point because he would say, you know, I'm just over the giant rubber duck and everybody knew where the guy was because you could see this thing for miles and miles and miles. Um, and uh, and it was just, I, you could tell that everybody was having a great time reporting their position relative to this thing because everybody was calling in saying, oh, I'm about two miles south of the giant rubber duck. <laughs> and it, was, <laughs> it was just fun time on the radio, you know, just, yeah. just fun time. Uh, I made one up. more trip to Duluth last year and um, got to fly in the pattern with a bunch of F-16s, which was very, very interesting. <laughs> they were, they were out fun. doing pattern work. Uh, and later the C one thirties were out doing pattern work. And how many three sixties did you do? I I had to do. We, he sent us around and way out over Lake Superior and way out wherever <laughs> else. And you know these things are buzzing around like hornets. And uh, uh, but it was just really hornets? cool to occupy this airspace. Yeah, I know they're not hornets. They're <laughs> the F fifteen is the Strike Eagle, right? The F sixteen is the Falcon, the Fighting Falcon. Um, but it, I'd never been aloft uh, with, with, and close to, relatively close to, within a couple miles of you know all of these different jets, uh, and that was really fascinating to see. I wonder if the C-130 was uh, was being its air tanker uh, occasionally because uh, I've flown to Tucson many many times, especially in the summer. We'd grab a we'd grab a plane and go down to do down and backs to Tucson at night just to keep current because it's cool enough to fly and we'd always run into the same thing there'd be 16 what's funny is that there'd be 16s doing touch and goes out of um out of uh um tucson's airport as well as a c-130 here and here now and again and then occasionally the southwest 737 but the weird thing is that davis monthan air force base um is right next door so i don't know why they don't use their own runway but yeah i've ran into that same thing yeah, it, it, and it's, it was interesting to just see a C-130 yanking and banking, you know, just doing 60-degree turn, bank turns and, and doing pattern work, um, but, uh, but a lot of fun. And 
you know, so not not exciting trips, not particularly long distance trips. Um, haven't had any more drama with any of the planes, any more emergency landings or anything like that. But just just little interesting tidbits here and there as I go. So that was fun. Very cool. It's always nice to mix it up with our with our military occasionally, as long as it's in a good way. Right, in that way. And it's, <laughs> it's, it wasn't an intercept, so I didn't get thumped. Yeah, <laughs> not not the way you get around here. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. You you don't get you don't get an escort. That's always a good thing. I'm, I'm actually sad. The um, you know Martin State now only flies the A10s. They got rid of the C130s because um, it was Air National Guard and. Um, it's a shame. I love the C-130s because you could always hear them from miles away because oh, yeah. they have such a distinct sound mm-hmm. um, to their prop that that's so cool. I, I grew they up in out of St. Paul here, and yeah, they're they're a pretty common sight. I grew up in uh, St. Joseph, Missouri, uh, which is about sixty miles north of Kansas City, and uh, in Kansas, uh, Elwood, Kansas, there was a. Uh, uh, it's not an Air Force base, it's an Air Guard base, and they flew C-130s out of there. Um, and don't see them that much up here, just occasionally down south. But then, of course, um, Davis-Monthan Air Force Base is uh, the A-10 base. And then up here at Luke Air Force Base is the F-16. Now the F-35 base, so we got 35s buzzing around. And I no longer have to look up to tell the difference. It's definitely uh, a totally different much louder sound, uh, and you know it's an F-35, not a 16. There you go. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to play, what was that plane that just flew by without looking? So, um, so my last flight of the year uh, was uh, December 29th. I got one in at the very end of the year, and I got to take up my guys from uh, work. I've been working with these guys for... Uh, one of them five years, the other one like the better part of four, and I'd yet to take them up. Uh, ain't I a bad boss? But um, we uh, finally uh, got together and we did a did the uh, you know the flight up to Sedona, the obligatory flight up to Sedona. If you if I'm ever going to take someone somewhere for their first time in a in an airplane, it's always going to be Sedona. Uh, little did I little did I find out later as we were flying, they've both been in small planes before, but it's been a long long time ago. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I love doing the thing where, you know, I take off, I get us to about 1500 fleet feet and, uh, hand over the controls and say, all right, take us to Sedona. Here's a magenta line, uh, that should face you to right about to that peak on that mountain way out there. Just head that way, you know, and basically all I do is adjust the, uh, address, adjust the elevator trim to, uh, keep us climbing at a, at a, uh, a reasonable rate and uh and take us up there so it was kind of nice because there's um snow still all over the mountainous area nothing in sedona but on top of the mountains here and there as we were going across there's still quite a bit of snow the mountains and flagstaff were completely covered but uh but sedona was was clear as uh clear as it could be were you gonna say something how many uh how many people uh go down to the right once you hand the yoke over. Down and to the right? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know why. Everyone what? I've flown, I've handed the controls to, down to the right. And they Every start time. taking you down and then off to the right, huh? I, yep. I'm and they're like, I'm flying it. straight. And I'm like, fly straight. And they're like, <laughs> I am. I'm like, you were, you were <laughs> but we're not. going that direction. <laughs> huh. 
I, I don't know if I've ever had anyone, or maybe I haven't noticed it. Brad, you ever had anybody do that? I, I haven't. Only me. Just you. <laughs> maybe it's the people I know. I don't know. But nobody can keep it going straight, and they all think that they are. Maybe it's because you're so far off of the, you know, the zero isogonic line, and so oh. they're just following uh. some weird magnetic thing. <laughs> Maybe they were just DC. trying to correct you. you know. <laughs> it's DC's fault. It's the 8s. Yeah. <laughs> it's giant magnets pulling them down. Yeah, yeah. So that was that's always a good flight. Um, nice, cool weather out, of course. Uh, so we got uh, um, got good performance out of the plane. Um, seems like one of these planes or the other that I fly out of uh, out of Angel Aviation. They've got three now, but one of them always seems to want to. Um, if you let go of the yoke, uh, start making a turn. I can't remember if it's to the left or the right. So it's slightly out of alignment, if you will. It, it needs uh, trimmed up in some way, but it, but it's in the ele- it's in the uh, ailerons. So I've uh, so the next time I went, um, the next time I went, which which was uh, um, January 12th, I, I grabbed a different plane. Um, and uh, didn't run into that into that problem. The Angel Aviation has their their old, I don't know if it's his oldest son, could be his youngest son, but uh, uh, decided he was going to go to uh, Alaska, which is where they the family had used to live like a long time ago. <clears throat> so he he took uh, one of the uh, Cessna 172s and one of their uh, Seneca 2s and headed up to Alaska, and he's got a, a job with I think he's flying um. Uh, caravans for FedEx again with them, but in, in his spare time he's, you know, um, uh, teaching with the with the two planes that he brought up. So that's kind of cool. So that made that made Dad down here uh, have to buy a couple more planes. So he ended up buying two more 172s and another. I think I don't know if he got another Seneca two or not. They've had they had two Seneca twos and two 172s, and he always buys the P model. That's all he'll buy. 172P model for some reason. That's his favorite. Huh. There's some something about that plane. I what do you guys now, Brad? You haven't flown a lot of 172s, right? I've flown exactly one, exactly once, but it was from like the 1970s, and I don't okay. even remember which variant it was. All it right, could have been like an N or something. So John will know this, but on my 172s that that we fly, the P models, there's only um, one um, um, uh, fuel uh, sump area on each side of the wing. John's three, got three how total. many? Uh, five, five, three, so thirteen. Yes. At some well, point, well, you should have three. Well, there's the, one at the um, lower area, right? There's one down. Well, there's the one engine. at the lower area, and then sometimes you have a fuel strainer, so you have the little uh, uh, lever thing. Yes, clear. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a similar thing. Um, it's always labeled on the checklist as the fuel strainer for some reason, but mm. the little lever thing you pull off, and then you basically catch it underneath the plane. But uh, um, on the wings, there's just the two, and then yep. there's one in the cowling area, of course, by the engine. But uh, yeah, at some point there must have been a lawsuit because now, uh, prior or after 19 whatever, I don't know what it is. If it was in the late, later 80s or what. So they stopped making them for a while after the mid 80s, and it was when the um, when the S came back, which would have been uh, maybe mid to late 90s, is when they started making the 172s again. And so when they brought them back, is when they ended up with the the 13 sums. <laughs> yeah. 
I remember I, I was like the first one of those that I rented from this other uh, um, from this other school at Glendale. Um, it was an SP model, I think I flew. And uh, I was like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> What's with this? I'm like, how many low spots in the tank can there be? But uh, yeah, so I don't know if that's the reason why he likes those P, <coughs> P models, because it's <coughs> it's still later, but not later enough to where you have to deal with 13 well, the P's, fuel sums. The P's are incredibly popular. Um, and it looks like I was wrong. The 172R was also... Oh, there in, you go. Uh, was 96 when they brought it back. It was? And then it was wow. two years later um, is the S model. Okay. Uh, I don't know if the R has the same amount of sumps, but I know the S does because I've flown the S and the SP. Um, but the P's, man, I mean, they're incredibly popular, and they were, uh, what year was that? Um, 80, 81, 82, 80s. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I flew an 83. Okay. Um, and it looks like up to 84. Um, but they were the last, I think, carbureted um, engine. Oh, Okay. So it's kind of... Then they know, also, at that point, bumped them up to 180 horse. Because these uh, ones I fly are 160s. Are. Well, it depends. There's a few that were 160s. You can do the 180 conversion as well, which some mm -hmm. have done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like old, and it's probably, you know, the P's are probably the newest of the more reasonably priced models. Yeah. Whereas once you get into the S, I mean, you're talking, yeah, yeah. you know, significantly different price point. So it just could be priced too. Yeah, it's true. He's paid a pretty penny for some of these. And uh, the most recent one I flew, uh, he just put a new engine on it, had 25 hours on the engine since he had, had put it in and the, and the prop, and he put 50 grand into the panel. Um, wow. bas basically a bunch of new, um, six pack gauges and, and the, and the panel that goes over top of it to make it nice and new, but he puts a 530 in it. He put another Garmin radio in it underneath that. Uh, and he's got the Garmin, um, um, the newer Garmin, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, radio, um, audio the panel. panel. Yeah. The com audio comms panel plus the, uh, plus the, um, um, uh, what is it? The probably put ADSB out on it at least. It, in and out, um, yeah. and it it goes through the 530, which is nice. Um, yeah. And the uh, autopilot. No, on one of them he's got an autopilot. One of the recent ones he just bought came with an S Tech 50X. Yeah. Yeah, someone bumped that thing up hugely. Of uh, speaking oh. of ADSB, Brad, I was going to ask you: Did you guys put it in? Uh, put it in your uh, new plane, the Saratoga, or did it come with it? It did not come with it. It came with uh, the oldest transponder I've ever worked with. <laughs> was it one of the, the dial ones with the four, you know? Older than that. Oh. Ooh. What? what? I think I've seen that one. It is mode C, right? Oh, wow. we're under the veil, so we need mode C veil. Uh, we need altitude on our on our transponders. But but we have a Lynx um Oh, did you put that in there? To, waiting to go in. I think oh. it'll go in during annual. Um, just like the Archer that we flew, huh? Yeah, Archer. just it'll be the same the same deal. Yeah. Um, and it, it needs it badly. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, again, yeah, we're running out of time. You know, we've only got until 2020, and it's... So you know, you're less than three years now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get it in there, and it's it's not that big of a deal, but I won't miss that thing. 
<laughs> I bet. Well, I um, my buddy uh, Dane's little Cessna 140. Um, he had one go out in it, and he wanted a similar one to replace it, even though this thing was ancient, right? It's no wider than you can spread your thumb to your uh, to your uh, finger. It's it was no wider than that. Um, and you like rolled up the numbers like with your thumb, kind of like a uh, um, like a like a lock, like a padlock or something. Is a real thin little thing. Yeah, this was a normal size, but it it my eyes went over it several times before I realized that that <laughs> was, was the transponder. Yeah, uh, it has one dial. <laughs> one. Oh, what? How do you how do you set each number you, then? You like tap it. Huh? <laughs> so you, it has one dial, and you tap it, and you get one digit, and you tap it again, you get another digit, you tap it again, you get another digit. Oh, that sounds all kinds of fun. And yeah, it it's, it was somebody's good idea, you know, back in 1980, um, <laughs> whatever this thing was built. So yeah, yeah, looking forward to having some more modern stuff in it. <laughs> That'd yeah. be great. Hooray for the L3. Yeah, that, it, it's a nice unit. It it talks with ForeFlight, um, you know, so I get weather and traffic and everything up on, uh, on nice. ForeFlight on the iPad, and as well as just having it right there. Um, and yeah, it, it keeps everything working. I don't I don't know which ADSB unit they've put in all of these 172s. They've all got a Garmin 530 in it, which is which is nice. Um, it's no G1000, but uh, it'll do. Um, but uh, the only complaint I have is that it thinks you're it, a target yourself. Um, uh, it says, uh, it'll say... Um, it thinks all the time? No, no. It, uh, randomly, and there's no like specific interval to it, but every once in a while, <clears throat> it'll say traffic, 12 o'clock, same altitude. Yeah, that's a and that's a thing. It thinks itself yeah, it is. is is a target, and <laughs> and there's got to be a way of 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 telling it that's that's not right. There, think, there is. It's the the ground delay um, sometimes going through the system to when it comes back mm-hmm. uh, if it goes outside of tolerances. For for um, mode S, that's certainly the case. For ADSB, it actually knows the end number. But if yeah. it doesn't get the full oh. frame back, it won't know the end number of the target and it'll just be like yeah there's something I yeah don't know. that's right so you should be able to go into the system and say ignore x whatever the end number is if you're playing um i would think but yeah and i think it's <clears throat> if the radar target is different from the adsb target it and, and they don't quite correlate oh okay then um it, then it's like hey there's somebody i don't know who it is it's at your yeah. same altitude good luck he's, he's gonna crash yeah yeah I've look up look down <laughs> traffic everywhere o'clock I had that happen on final once, which was uh, <laughs> a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, especially if you're at a non-towered airport, you know. Uh, and it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was one of those things where I was just like, "Hold on a second. That's awesome. Um, Nuts. Um, then I got uh, I got a another flight in shortly after the beginning of the year, uh, January twelfth. I uh, uh, a friend of mine was in town. Um, uh, from uh, like the Spokane area, and he used to live here, and me and him used to rent 
um, four, uh, three, five, four Mike Alpha, the archer that we learned in. Uh, we both had the same instructor. He didn't um, end up finishing uh, here or in that plane. He finished up in Spokane. Um, but, you know, we had met each other several times and, and stayed in contact through social media. And uh, he said he was coming into town. So I said, well, we need to go do a flight. So it was getting, it was after, <clears throat> it was after work. So we didn't go do the Sedona trip and he had never been, had <clears throat> been there. So <clears throat> I don't, I don't think, you know, doing a night flight into Sedona is the most awesome, <clears throat> awesome idea. Um, I'm sure there's people do it all the time, but nighttime over mountains, you know, not a very well lit uh, thing. I, it just kind of, I have a little caution to that. That's probably healthy. Yeah. But, uh, so we did what I call the Valley tour, took off, uh, out of, uh, out of, uh, Glendale, uh, headed east, uh, towards the, the middle of the city and did a Bravo transition, uh, across the, uh, across Phoenix and, uh, then did a, a touch and go at, well, no, attempted a touch and go at Chandler. Um, we were <clears throat> maybe, four to five miles out from, uh, from, uh, entering a base to final. And then we were called off because there was some sort of incident. I don't know what it was, but, uh, they rolled, they rolled, uh, emergency vehicles onto the runway for something. So we were told to go away. So, and we peeled off, got out of their Delta as requested, and then headed to Williams Gateway Airport, which is the next on the list. And uh, did a did a nice touch and go over there. Williams Gateway's a blast because it was it was an old Air Force base, and uh, now Allegiant flies out of there, and um, a couple others. And there's all kinds of military traffic in and out of there all day long too. Just people doing touch and goes from all over the place, I guess. But the runway is, you know, hundred hundred uh, hundred feet wide, or maybe 150 feet wide, and and. Uh, 6,000 feet long or whatever. So once you get low enough to land, it feels like you're going so slow because the runway is so huge. So we did a, uh, a touch and go there and then headed to uh, Falcon Field, which is right next door. Their, um, their deltas overlap each other. So it's one of those things that you got to be quick on the radio, let them know where you're going real fast so they release you before you're even out of the delta so they can so you can get in touch with the next people. You got to get ATIS for that next that next airport, of course. So things happen real fast on these, on these three airports. When you go from Chandler to Williams gateway to Falcon, they're like, they sit on top of each other. So, um, so take off. So we do touch and go out of Williams gateway and, uh, I'm climbing and it's just not, not going very fast, you know? Um, and I kind of nose it over and I'm like going, man, we are just not picking up any speed. And I'm thinking, are we low on gas? Is something going on with the engine? My RPMs are maybe 2,200 to 23 at the most, something like that. I should not developing power, not as much as I should, you know, clearly. And, um, so I'm like, well, we're going to do a full stop at, at Mesa gateway. Um, and, uh, and get out and, and, you know, we'll check fuel again and, and just, you know, do another run up and see what's going on. So as I'm, uh, as I'm coming into to Mesa gateway and I'm on final, um, uh, that's, you know, an, no big deal. Everything was kind of normal. I land and I, and I, and I put up the, uh, flaps. They don't go up. I was flying with my flaps down the, um, oh. the, and, but we had put them up. It just didn't cycle. And I didn't bother to look outside to notice that that's what was dragging us down. 
So um, um, I just I just put the lever back down and then back up, and then it cycled just fine. But for some reason, that electrical current right, right there didn't tell the, uh, the motors to bring the flaps up for some reason. So we found that out on the ground. Uh, we did a fuel check anyways and a run up and took off out of Mason and uh, then did a uh, touch and go over at, uh, at Deer Valley. We went ahead and skipped Scottsdale because we were kind of short on time after farting around over there with, the, with that little issue, trying to figure out what happened. Uh, did a touch and go at Deer Valley and then back over to Glendale and stopped and ended with a, a really nice, you know, um, dawn to, or not dawn, but uh, uh, twilight to uh, evening um, or night landing at that point. So that was a lot of fun. I uh, look forward to, um, his name's Vitaly. I'm looking forward to come back. He owns a business here. Um, you know, you guys know what a, a ODB2 is, an ODB, yeah, an ODB2 sensor is? Or an ODB2 port. That would be a negative. On underneath your car, it's where the mechanic plugs in his thing to figure out what's wrong with your car. It's an ODB ODB port. Yes. Okay. Got it. There you go. He he manufactures uh, those here somewhere in uh, in Phoenix. And uh, and um, so after we did that, we swung by his office. He showed me his office and gave me one of his sensors to play with. I have one. Um, before that I use in my truck uh, from some other company and then you download like a $7 app um, and it shows you the most amazing amount of information that it collects and uh, I love it a lot especially when I'm towing towing the trailer so I can keep it keep track of the uh, transmission um, temperatures specific transmission temperatures not just a hot cold gauge which I already have on the truck but specific to it's 140 degrees or 200 degrees or whatever it is which is kind of cool so anyways a lot of fun um look forward to doing another trip with him uh when he gets back out here next time he comes out here for business obviously occasionally to to see the rest of his his uh his team so um been going for about an hour or so i i think we should probably um start wrapping it up i i want to um hit john back up one more time you got uh anything else going on uh or coming up here pretty soon now just uh like i said keeping currency uh trying to get up again for too long and uh keep everything moving very good very good we look forward to uh hearing about it next time um and uh mr brad you've uh you've done some other flights too some some um you've been doing those life i you keep trying to do those lifeline flights and then weather cancels you or whatever Yes, and uh, I've I've managed to do one and actually have it happen. Whoa! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I can talk about that a little bit next time. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, very fulfilling, very very uh, fun uh, flight, just about ideal. Awesome, awesome. Well, in that case, um, I think we can uh, call it a night, and um, look forward to uh, doing it again real soon with you guys. Um, and, uh, hopefully, uh, um, Mark can, uh, can catch back up with us. He, uh, he texted me a little while ago and he was like, oh shoot, was that tonight? I totally forgot. <laughs> He's out doing some side work. So anyways, Mr. Conway, you want to take us out of here? Yeah. Um, any shout outs before I go on? Uh, just one quick shout out to, uh, to, um, uh, John, um, um, 
light sport man. He is uh, uh, since the, I, I've been trying. I've tried to get him on this podcast again, um, but uh, he has uh, daughters in town from uh, from New Jersey and wasn't able to uh, get on with us. But uh, he has since uh, got his uh, instructor rating for light sport, and uh, very proud of him for that. He he passed his uh, his check ride on his first attempt. Awesome. Way to go. Do you have anything, Brad? You good? I got nothing. Okay, cool. All right, cool. So uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up. Um, quickly, uh, let everybody know where you can find us real quick. Uh, Chris, start with you. Sure. Um, feel free to uh, shoot me an email at chris at inthepatternpodcast.com. You can probably also find me on the Twitter machine at cholabaz. That's C H O L U B A Z, or on our Facebook page, the In the Pattern Podcast. Yeah, I've been seeing some stuff uh, happening over there on the Facebook. Uh, Brad, how about you? You can reach me via email at brad at inthepatternpodcast.com on the Twitter machine at Brad Kane. Or uh, you can occasionally find me hanging out on the Facebook uh, for Brad Kane there also. Uh, and Kane, of course, is spelled Kilo Oscar Echo Hotel November, just like it sounds. Just like it sounds. Uh, and for me, you can find me at John at InThePatternPodcast.com, uh, at Pilot Conway on Twitter, and just about anywhere else on the internet. Um, for the entire podcast, you can reach all of us at podcast at in the pattern podcast.com or on Twitter is in the pattern, or you can go ahead and like us on Facebook or chat on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash in the pattern podcast, uh, show notes for this episode and all our episodes, uh, as well as links to the, um, downloads can be found on our website in the pattern podcast.com and, uh, go ahead and send us any suggestions, critiques, comments. Uh, we'd love to get feedback from our listeners. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up episode 64 of the In the Pattern podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening, and remember, make left traffic, you're cleared for the option.